Hello and welcome to Making It, a podcast about making things with your bare hands. Hosted by Jimmy Daresta, Bob Cleggett, and myself, David Picciuto. And before we get this started, I just want to remind you guys that we would like to ask you to subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes as it helps us get in front of more ears. And with that being said, let's talk about what we're working on. Bob, what you got going on? I am finally, finally working on a video for my arcade machine. So excited. Um, yeah, so I, I started the arcade project like, oh gosh, it's been a year ago or something. And uh, just did blog posts about the electronics, about getting the Raspberry Pi up and then getting the control board put together. And so that's all on my site, but people ask me about it all the time. And since I'm going to move into making the arcade cabinet, I figured it would make sense to make a video about the electronics part of it. So, you know, it's not really new work for me, but I think it'll be new to a lot of people watching videos. And it's it's nice to to work on something like that, take a break from, you know, building something and just wire something up for me. So, yeah. <laughs> what about you, Jimmy? What are you working on? Uh, well, this weekend, Taylor and I started... Uh a video and a build of a teepee. We're going to build a teepee on the property upstate. Nice. It's uh, Taylor is spearheading the, the project. She's done tons and tons of research and we have tons and tons of inspiration on Pinterest. And uh, she had to talk me into it. I was a bit of a curmudgeon in the beginning, but now I'm totally into it. Um, we went walking in the woods looking for 36 foot long uh, pine trees. And at first, it didn't seem like we had that many that long. But now that we really started digging into it, we have plenty. I got 40 acres, so there's tons and tons of young, skinny, long, tall trees. And we cut down about 10 of them this weekend. And we started to skin them. And we set up a little area out in the woods. And we picked a site. So that's going to be a long-term project. And we started videotaping the whole process. And uh, it's cool. It's it's a lot of fun. It's fun because uh, you know, it goes sort of to... Uh, our topic for this week, which is people that inspire us. And uh, one of my big inspirations is is Dick Pernicki. And uh, so this whole project is really inspired by him as well. So, oh, David. Yes. What are you working on? What am I working on? Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys. Uh, I was just going to let you go. I wasn't going to interrupt you. I'm so sorry. I thought it ended on me. No. Uh, I just finished up a video about how to make a beer mug on the lathe. I got a good response about that. And then that was great. This week, thank you. And then this week, I um, I went to the, an antique store and I got an old alarm clock. You remember those alarm clocks with a with the numbers flip up? And oh yeah, yeah. I, I, got I have one. a computer graphic on my my screen of that. It's a yeah. mimic of that. <laughs> yes. And so I grabbed one of those thinking, okay, I'm going to I'm going to tear it apart and I'm going to rebuild the case for it. So I started started um I was going to start that this week and it turns out it doesn't work. And I mm. can't figure out why it doesn't work. So that project got put on the shelf until I can figure out what's wrong with it or or get another one. So now I'm kind of scrambling and seeing what I can build and record in a day. So we'll <laughs> we'll, we'll see what that is. Yeah. So, I yeah. that honestly instead of the- scrapping that project it sounds like it just turned into two projects <laughs> fix fixing the clock fix one and then rebuild yeah. it yeah is that the you're talking about the clock where the numbers move down slowly and then come off of the little pin and flop down yep yeah 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 and um the, the case on this clock was actually pretty cool i've been wanting to build like re- rebuild one of these clocks 
for for a while now. And so if I feel there's a part of me that feels bad for tearing up this what already looks cool, but I figured I can make it even cooler. Right on. So yeah, we got to fix it first. So that's what we're working on, Jimmy. The topic for this week is people that inspire us. And as I was saying about the teepee, um, the big inspiration for for me and many of the projects I've done this past year, when you when you see me hand sawing or using a hatchet or whatever it is, it's uh, a big inspiration for me is Dick Pernicki, the guy who lived out in the woods in Alaska and did everything by hand with hand tools. And so uh, this week's topic is many people asked us over the last several weeks, who are the people that inspire us? And, and I have a lot of people that inspire me. And uh, there's different categories of people that inspire me, people that inspire us on YouTube, people that inspire us in our artistic vision, and uh, people that inspire us in our furniture building and our techniques. So anybody want to take it? Yeah, I'll take one. I, I, um, I've always been completely blown away by Walt Disney. And I know that may be a little obvious you know i think a lot of he's done a lot of or he did a lot of good stuff a lot of big stuff a lot of famous stuff but i think the thing that really uh inspires me about him is when you watch some of the watch him talk about things if you've ever seen video of him talking when he's talking about the stuff that he envisions before it's created it blows my mind like there's this video on you can find it on youtube um i'll try to find it put a link in show notes but it um it's about him talking about epcot his idea for what Epcot Center would be, you know, probably, I don't know, 20 years before it was built or something. And he had this whole grand idea for the city of the future, and it was going to kind of be a, you know, uh, an idea of what other cities would actually be like in the future. And when he talks about it, he, you can just tell he's like so forward-thinking. And and then I've heard some stuff about him, how he set up the Imagineering group within Disney, like the original 12 or whatever it was like these guys that basically were just you have to figure out how to make dreams come true that was their job you know and so for somebody to be in a position to enable other people to do that job uh that's pretty awesome so he's he's always been kind of one of my tops <clears throat> it's funny uh you bring up uh disney because there's a little story that i heard and i don't know if we talked about this before but um disney apparently if you were meeting him for the first time and you were going to potentially work for him, he would always sort of charade and say, Hey, do you got a, you got a, you got a little tool on you. I need to do something. And if you did not have a tool on you and you were not prepared with either a Swiss army knife or something, you lost a notch in your really? interview. Huh. Yeah. So it was a little secret thing that he would do when he met, met people was to find out if you were like prepared for anything. So that's, huh. that stuck with me. I heard that many years ago and I don't know if it's true. Maybe we could, do a fact check on that, but yeah, see if we can dig that up. Yeah, I always thought that was cool. I'm gonna lump two people together, and this type of inspiration is just how these two people live their lives. One is Sam Maloof, and the other is my grandfather. And I always say when when I hit eighty some years old, those are the two people that I want to be. I, I I still want to be doing stuff. I I want to. Uh, I want to be an inspiration to people and we'll link to this in the show notes, but there's a great like hour long documentary on YouTube on the life of Sam Maloof. And it was just a very, uh, in his later years, which he passed away, I believe in 2011. And he just lived a slow life. 
but he enjoyed it and he made he made furniture up until the day he died and my grandfather who's still still with us he's out in the shop if it's warm enough he's out in the shop making birdhouses and and all kinds of toys for the great grandchildren and that's just where i want to be when i reach that age i still want to be making stuff and i still want to be a part of people's lives in in some sort of way so very cool when we were talking about leading up to this particular episode i started making a list and i actually had to categorize different parts of my list like youtubers that inspire me and and uh, artists that inspire me when i say artists classical artists and fine artists and artists from the the renaissance and uh and then a couple of current people that inspire me a lot of people say who's my favorite maker and i always think in terms of New York City, uh, I don't know why, but the first person I always think of is Paul Cox. Are you guys familiar with Paul Cox? The motor- motorcycle guy? Yeah, Paul Cox yeah. lives in this, uh, he lives in Brooklyn, but he, when I first came to the neighborhood, he was in this neighborhood on 6th Street. He had his, uh, his spot there. And I first heard of him because my brother had a seat made by him for his Harley. And um, my, uh, a friend of a friend said, oh, you got to go to Paul Cox. And he made this cowhide seat for my brother. But then as I got to hear his name more often and I actually got a chance to meet him and I've been to his shop and, and uh, I can consider him an acquaintance. I can't really call him a friend because we really haven't bonded, but he, uh, he and I talk every now and again on Instagram and uh, the work he does is just incredible. And he's part of, you guys might remember some of you listening. Indian Larry was the motorcycle builder who became famous during the, uh, biker build-off days of Discovery Channel. And Indian Larry died in a motorcycle accident. Um, but Paul and him worked hand-in-hand for many years together. And uh, Paul Cox is a leather worker and a motorcycle builder. And uh, when I think of certain things that I make, I, I keep in mind the way he does things. And uh, it's just very artful in a machinist kind of way. He's like a machinist and an artist together. And he definitely has always inspired me. He's, he's older than me. Not by much, but He's he's been at it for a really long time, and he makes some pretty incredible stuff. If you guys have felt the need to look him up, mm-hmm. and so Paul Cox, Indian Larry, Jesse James has always been a big inspiration to me. I know he doesn't have the best reputation, but the things that he does and uh, the tools that he has, uh, things that I aspire to get. And uh, I can keep reading the list off, but Bob, I'll let you take a turn. <laughs> All right. I actually was going to go back to what David said about his grandfather, because I am in that exact same spot. My grandfather is, is he's on the list with Walt Disney, which is impressive. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's, uh, he's still with us and he's awesome. You know, he's in his late eighties. Um, he's one of those, he's a, he's a maker. He's always been a maker. And I learned a ton and was inspired as a child by watching him and being in his shop. And, um, and he he does everything from late in life he decided to become a painter so he does painting he does these like 100% lifelike uh carvings of every kind of bird you can imagine and every kind of fish and he glosses these fish so that they actually look like they're live fish that are wet that's cool it's it's unbelievable um but so he's you know he has done a ton of stuff with his hands and that's always been really inspiring. And he's always really motivated me to do that and supported me and the stuff that I've done, but also just from watching him and hearing about him in my hometown, like growing up, I would, I would talk to people, um, 
And when they found out who my grandfather was, they talked to me differently because he has a history of just treating people in such a way that they respect him immediately. And, you know, um, that's pretty amazing. In fact, I live in Savannah, Georgia now, right? So we moved into this house, uh, got talking to our elderly, elderly next door neighbors, found out that they were from Kentucky as well, where I'm from. So we got to talking and they're like, oh, they're actually from about 25 minutes from where I grew up. So they asked my last name. I said my last name and they said, oh, Dr. Bob, is that, are you related to Dr. Bob Claggett? I'm like, yeah, that's my grandfather. And they're like, oh, wow. Yeah, we know Dr. Bob. And I mean, that blows me away. You know, that's like an entirely different family from an entirely different place. And so that, and I mean, there's a million stories about stuff he's done and survived plane crashes and. Whoa. Uh, all kinds of stuff. He's he's just amazing in a lot of ways. And uh yeah, so he's he's definitely inspired me in, in tons and tons of different ways. So David, your turn. All right. Well, I talked about people who inspire uh, a way of life. And so now I want to talk about um a couple that inspires design and I actually like get and borrow ideas from them and that's ray and charles eames a few years ago i saw a document i watched a documentary on them i think it's on pbs um we i'll link to that in the show notes as well but it's i've watched this documentary three times and every time i'm just like i gotta go and make something right now their design uh is just incredible and they came up not only not only there's this design but the the process that the how they did things like they were one of the first people to have a laminated plywood furniture. You know, they, they, they would make the forms for these and they failed and they learned from their failures and, and, and redid it. And they have a lot of awesome chair designs and they were just a, it was a husband and wife team and just absolutely beautiful. I've got a couple books with their work in it. And whenever I'm feeling uninspired, I just pick up the book and leaf through and, and find something. And sometimes, I can look at a, um, and you guys can probably relate, but I can look at a chair and that might spark an idea for a box, you know, mm. and, and it's just mm-hmm. looking at something that really inspires you can, can spark that idea. And it might be way different than what you're looking at, but you just need that, that little spark to get things going. Yeah. The details, the, the details. details inspire other things for sure. Yeah. Jimmy, who else? Uh, a big inspiration for me has always been Andy Warhol and and not necessarily because of his work but because of his experimentation and his his ability to sort of just let things happen and uh you know I've obviously heard a lot and read a little bit about what took place in the factory the quote unquote the factory where he did his artwork and uh just the amount of work that he created I've been to the Warhol Museum in Pittsburgh and the body of work, the amount of paintings and he's created and the different types of art he created. And uh, one story that I, I might have read it in the Sunday Times once. I think that's where I heard about it. Warhol kept a cluttered desk apparently. And every few weeks or once a month or I forget the timeline, he would just take every single thing in the desk, on the desk, and just put it in a box and just seal the box and date it. And that was a time capsule so that oh, if he wow. went back to that box – it would be like apparently in the little snippet I read about this, there's like a piece of cake from like Bobby Kennedy's birthday party and like <laughs> just all these like random bits of like time capsule moments in time. And uh, that I always thought that was very cool 
and it's sort of in my mind, I justify my clutter because of what I, when I read that, I'm like, oh, okay. So I don't feel so bad about having the clutter around me all the time. I, I wish I could box it and just get rid of it month at a time, but I keep these objects all around me at, all, at any given time. So again, Andy Warhol for his experimentation and uh, the amount of work that he created, it just seems to be endless. It's funny you mentioned that last uh, little idea there about you know keeping things because I saw a quote. T- I think today is maybe Albert Einstein's birthday, or it was recently. But I saw a quote from him, and it was a the picture was his desk on the day that he died. Books, oh, wow. books everywhere, books all over the shelves, just like stacks of papers, you know, all the stuff. And the quote was a, a, supposedly from him. I don't really know, but it was something to the effect of you know. If a uh, cluttered desk is comes from a cluttered mind, then what does an empty desk come from? So something to that effect. Mm. So that was really cool, you know, uh, that sometimes our clutter and our the fact that we have multiple things going on and the fact that our minds are all over the place is, is a good thing because if we didn't do that, then we would be maybe less interesting <laughs> or right. something, less productive. I don't know. But anyway, that that stuck out to me. But so next on my list... This is going to be a little odd. Um, Radiohead. And I am a musician, and so there's the music side of Radiohead. But also, the thing that really stuck out has... I mean, I've been a fan of theirs for a very, very long time. But there's something that's always bothered me about them, but at the same time, I think it's pretty amazing. And I'm not sure that it would be obvious to a non-musician. But for me, when I'm writing music... so. I've always written rock stuff and like noisy stuff. And so I love these big crescendos. I love like the big hit and there's like just some driving mass at the end of a song, you know, it's just like big, big, big music. So one of the things that's really frustrating and awesome about Radiohead is that they do that build. They do these really intentional builds and they, you can feel this like <clears throat> swell coming, but restraint is the thing that they have that I don't. So they do these massive swells, and then when you expect, or at least when I expect, this thing to just unload on you, this is like giant mass, it just disappears. And it's totally opposite of what my nature would be in in that particular situation. But from noticing that and then listening to their music with that in mind over and over the years, it's restraint. It's like they're doing that on purpose. They're doing that to evoke a feeling without actually like forcing that feeling by, you know, plowing through with like huge guitars all the time and and all this stuff. And so that restraint by them has been pretty evident to me for a long time. Um, And I've tried to keep that in mind when I start to, I try to keep it in mind when I write music, but that's pretty hard to do. But I try to keep it in mind when I'm like thinking about a project or thinking about, Maybe uh, just something I want to attack. You know, maybe it's, I don't know, a new interest or something. Like, do I want to like fully dump myself? Do I want to swell to this thing and chase this thing so hard and then fully dump myself into it to where there's no turning back? Or would it be more productive and better in the long run to run towards something but then have the restraint to like, you know, keep it at bay? And I know this is really vague and really general, but I've found that keeping that in mind has actually helped me be more productive in a lot of ways and be able to take on more things than I would otherwise. I don't know if that makes any sense, but and, and uh, another person that I think 
uses restraint in a really interesting way is Banksy. And he's, I know he's kind of, mm-hmm. you know, uh, pop culture. I mean, he's very popular. A lot of people like Banksy's work. And I like his, I like his work as well. But the, he's been doing it for so long, and he's had the restraint to stay, you know, to stay unknown. It's amazing. I, mean, I, I think that it, blows my mind. Yeah, I mean, because it's, you know, it's our nature to, like, want recognition for what we do. And he's done so much stuff. <laughs> and he avoids the recognition. And that that's restraint. That's, yeah. I don't know, that's awesome. That's, that's always stuck out to me. But Very cool. That's cool. Yeah. So, so I had a musician as well, but I'm going to hold off on that. <laughs> maybe maybe the next rounds we'll, we'll come back to that. So I'm going to say, and Jimmy touched on this a little bit earlier, but a whole large group of people that inspire me is the YouTube audience uh, who watches my videos and the YouTube audience who makes videos. Because otherwise I would not want to do what I do if there was no audience, right? And... I get so much inspiration from watching these other people who have been doing it for for years now and their technique and the way they interact with people. And also these there's a whole bunch of newcomers who are coming up and it's it's inspiring mm-hmm. to see um you, you, you see these 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 young kids come up and, and make these videos and they have a different perspective on things and that's what inspires me, you know, is yeah. is the audience. That might sound a little bit, uh, might be sucking up to our audience, but I, <laughs> I love you people. No, I, I, I concur. I think uh, when I first started researching YouTube, uh, you know, I become friends with a lot of the people that inspired me in the very beginning. And um, to stay on that subject for a minute, uh, one of my big inspirations in YouTube is, uh, is Casey Neistat. Do you guys watch his videos? I've seen some of them, yeah. Yeah, he, he's he's incredible filmmaker, but uh, he really promotes self publishing and you know taking the power away from you know, get, just knocking down that wall. To if you want to communicate, make your own videos, and um, so take a look at Casey's work. It's pretty incredible, and I actually got a chance to email with him this week. A friend of a mutual friend of ours realized that we don't know each other. He's like, you don't know Casey? I said, no, I, I, we never met officially, but I've watched everything he's ever done. He says, I got to introduce you guys through the email. So we met through email. And then uh, a couple of days later, I actually met another mutual friend. I became friends with somebody who also knows him. So I think it's just a matter of time before we get to hang out. And uh, incredible, incredible movie maker and incredible mind. I actually had somebody uh, contact me this week asking if we would have a guest on this show. And their first suggestion was him. And they said, Jimmy, uh, Jimmy knows him, right? And I'm like, I have no idea, but we'll find out. So. <laughs> well, to, to break the ice with him, I asked him if he would come and speak in my class. And he just had a baby and he travels all around the world constantly uh, doing lectures on filmmaking and stuff. So I just said, I go, look, I know you have a busy schedule. If you ever found it possible to come speak in my class between now and the end of May, April. And he did answer me right back. He's like, I'm just so busy. I can't commit to anything. He said, but we'll hook up eventually somehow, some way, which was really cool. So, yeah. And um, I'll just give you guys one more. Well, I have the stage. Um, um, I'll lump a group of artists together real quickly. Uh, Richard Serra, the guy that does the big giant steel. You guys ever see his work? There's these huge, incredible giant chunks of steel. And uh, that inspires me because I see from one person comes these. Obviously, he has a team. He can't do them alone. But these incredibly huge giant chunks of steel he turns them into these big fluid shapes and obviously it's very very wealthy art 
to either own or to make. It's incredible. It's just, it's overwhelming to me. But when I see that, it's sort of like the analogy I made once about Egyptians and how when you see what they've been able to accomplish, you know, the small problems in front of you are kind of belittled. And it's the same thing. When I see what Richard Serra does and the the huge amounts of uh, steel he's able to manipulate. Obviously, again, he does it with a foundry and a group of people, I'm sure. But to see your ideas come so solidified in these giant chunks of steel is inspiring to me. And then one more artist, Andy Goldsworthy. Are you guys familiar with Andy Goldsworthy's work? No, no. Oh, you got to look him up. It's incredible. Andy Goldsworthy finds art in nature. He makes visual associations with objects and he makes uh, you know, one of his, he's very famous for something called the rain shadow. His net result is the photograph of whatever he assembles from nature. He'll find icicles and make them into a big spike ball, or he'll find leaves and arrange them in color sequence from like yellow to red. <clears throat> and he makes these incredible assemblages from art. And like I said, the rain shadow is one of the things where if it just begins to rain, he'll lay down on the ground or have someone lay on the ground and then they get up quick and he photographs the silhouette of the oh, nice. body on the dry ground. Awesome. So it's just his playfulness and his, uh, his eye to see um, associations where most people wouldn't see associations. So again, that's inspiring to me. Cool. I, I got one more. Um, I have kind of a short list, but I'm sure I can come up with some more. Um, so there's a guy on YouTube um, who's active now, and you guys may have heard of him. His name's Jack Conti, and he's in a band uh, called Pomplamoose, and they've gotten kind of popular. Um, they've been on YouTube for several years. And the thing that inspires me about him is his like pure energy and his pure desire to create stuff. Like he does a lot of music. He also does um, uh, like videos, uh, music videos, and just like he has a background in filmmaking. So he just, you know, he's really entrenched in how music and and film work together. Um, he's actually the guy that started Patreon, which we use, you know, to help fund the show. So he's, you know, that's that's not a suck up to him. He's just actually a really awesome guy that I've been following for several years. And actually, the day that he launched Patreon. Uh, I jumped on it because if if he was a part of it, you know, um, yeah, I knew it was going to be good, and it is good. It's it, the whole goal there with that, and a lot of other the stuff that he does is to empower people who create stuff to like to be paid directly by the people who enjoy the stuff that they create, you know. And so he takes that mindset into the way they do their music distribution and the way they fund their videos and their tours and and Patreon, like what it's all about. Um, he's got a really good talk uh, from a conference called XOXO, and I'll see if I can find a link to that. But uh, when I watch, I've watched it a couple of times, and every time I watch it, by the end of it, I'm like, "All right, I'm going to take on the world. I'm going to I'm going to make some stuff, and I'm going to make a living by myself without you know." <laughs> <laughs> he's uh, it's really really motivating, and uh, he's he's just, he's really funny too. So he's he seems like a really down to earth guy. I've never met him or anything, but um, so yeah. You guys should check him out. Very cool. So my next person is an inspiration as a musician, as a businessman, and as he's just he's just a man of, of many, many talents. Uh, and his name is Jack White. And you might know him from the band The White Stripes. Mm-hmm. And what I what I like about Jack is he he was in a very successful band, but that just wasn't good enough for him. And he 
kept busy. So when the White Stripes weren't touring, he starts another band called the Reconteers, and then another band on top of that, Dead Weather. And so he and just constantly always creating. He just has so so much going on at at one time. And another thing that I find really inspiring is in this in this time where independent bands don't make money anymore or they make less money or it's harder to get known, he starts a record label, which seems one of the worst times in history to start a record label. But what he what he's done is he's he's done things that nobody has ever done before. Like he's releasing records that have hidden tracks in the vinyl, like on the label, or there's a track that's backwards. I know that's been done before, but he's found different ways to do this where he'll have that that hidden track at the very edge of the record would, would be song one or depending on where you drop the needle is where uh, you'll get a different intro to the song uh, he, he's, he's got a subscription plan for his record label and that's just something that you don't you don't see too much anymore coming from a, a small company and and so just everything he does has this this new and innovative feeling but yet everything is kind of classic and it's just super inspiring to me and like like we said before inspiration doesn't have to be a direct line between i'm inspired by woodworkers but i use i'm also inspired by other people that influence my woodworking yeah and that that inspiration for you know a particular thing like woodworking come can come from absolutely anywhere you know totally unrelated stuff which is awesome i have a a couple of musicians since you guys are talking about musicians, I started thinking of the musicians that inspire me when I work. And that's Chet Baker is uh, probably my biggest musical inspiration, even though uh, he's a bit of a tragic figure. But the music he made, he had a natural talent for playing the trumpet, jazz trumpet, West Coast jazz, kind of cool, smooth jazz. And uh, he died in 1988. But uh, from the early 50s to the late 80s, he just constantly created music to feed his heroin habit. There's a pretty tragic movie called Let's Get Lost about his life. And, uh, but his music always inspires me. Just this, the, the melody, the, the, uh, and the, again, the volume of it. I'm always inspired by people that are able to create volumes of stuff. And uh, Hank Williams is another one. Again, another tragic figure. And what he was able to accomplish before the age of 30 is incredible. I mean, most people don't realize that those powerful songs that he sings and writes are all from the mind of a 20 something year old. Hmm. And, uh, you know, when people find that out there, sounds like an old man singing these songs. He obviously he died in 1953, I think. And, uh, this is a bit of a stretch, but it, it, it when I listen to the music of Beethoven, the powerful, the few powerful songs, I mean, uh, I, I'm not so deep into his catalog, but there are a few songs like, uh, the ninth symphony, uh, for instance, I listened to that quite a bit and I used to use it all the time when I edited, it would always be the soundtrack that I edited to. I don't mm. use music anymore in my edits, but when I used to edit, you know, show pitches and, and occasionally I would, I would edit show pitches for other people. I would always use Beethoven's ninth symphony and that just, it just seemed to fit every situation. There's like different pieces of that, that work for every situation. Uh, Interesting. I, there's a, to interrupt, there's a radio lab episode. Uh, there's another podcast called radio lab. If you guys don't know about it, it's amazing. There's an episode about Beethoven. I don't know if you've ever heard this one, but so no. it's about the fifth symphony, which is the dun, 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 you know, the one that everybody knows. 
And we've all heard it at a certain pace, which is kind of like that dun, 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 you know, the slow thing. But so there's some research that is kind of pointing out to some people that he may have not had it, or he may have wanted it to be a lot faster than what was notated. He was the first composer to have a metronome, which is pretty big in composing that you can actually like count the the time that you want your songs to be and you can write it down. Other Before that, it was just like, a word, you know, that meant fast or slow. Yeah. And so he was the first one to be able to actually put a number down that, you know, it's this many beats per minute. And so there's some research that shows that the numbers written down on his manuscripts are actually probably way slower than what he meant. And so anyway, in this Radio Lab episode, they they bring in <clears throat> a, a quartet, I think, string quartet, and they play the music at the speed that they think he meant for it to be, and it's insanely fast. To the point where it's almost unplayable. And so when you hear it, it sounds really, really cool, but it also starts this conversation like, why would he do that? Why would he make things so fast that you almost couldn't play it? And there's a really cool perspective there about, you know, all the other composers were writing stuff that they knew an orchestra could play so that it could be really representative of them as a composer. You know, so that somebody could come listening to this and be like, oh, that's a really nice piece of music and -and so-and-so is the one that wrote it. But the idea is that Beethoven was just kind of a jerk and was like, I want to push you guys as far as I can possibly push you so that the spectacle of this music event is not necessarily how awesome I am, but it's that you might Mm -hmm. just have a train wreck. (laughs) 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 Which is really cool. I mean, mean, it sounds like a jerk, but it's also really cool (laughs) because in a time where people were you know, doing a certain thing, he was trying to do something entirely different, you know. Um, anyway, so I would suggest, if you like Beethoven, if you like Radiolab, go check that one out. It's a good good episode. Yeah. I'm going to look it up. I'm going to write it down. Every once in a while, somebody will say to me that they're not a creative person. And although I think creativity can be easier from, for some people, I think it's in everybody. And you just, it's one of those things you can learn to be creative. You just have to open yourself up and take in these inspirations and, and, and do something with it. And sometimes, um, creativity is, it's, it's a, it's a slow process where just keep sketch, sketching a notepad every single day. And you'll see your sketches get better over time in just a, a few days, a few weeks time. And you'll also see your ideas get a little bit more creative over time too. So don't believe that you are not creative. You reminded me a little bit of a folk art, you know, it's kind of reminds me of folk art. A lot of people don't consider themselves artists, but when you see like some folk art in a museum or something like that, it's uh, it's, it's art in and of itself, but it isn't considered art when it's being made or in the context of it. So that you just reminded me of that, David. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm always the one that comes back and talks about problem solving, but um, I think a lot of times when people say that they're not creative, it's because they're they're not being creative in a certain way that they expect that they should be. You know, they they may not be like, oh, I can't come up with this image of some beautiful scene out of my head to paint. Well, yeah, me neither. But that doesn't mean I'm not creative. You know, mm-hmm. so I, that's why when you go to art school, that's why they give you assignments. That's why they give you a problem to solve. That's why they give you a thing to accomplish because the creativity is how you accomplish the task. It's not necessarily just generating something beautiful out of nothing. I yep. mean, that is a skill. That is a thing that people do. But yep. that's not that's not the definition of creativity. You know. So I think for people that don't think they're creative, um, maybe they're not trying to solve the right problems. Maybe they're not. I, th- I think also too that you can they're trying to 
come up with something from nothing. Give yourself some limitations. Um, mm. As a photographer, you know, I have I have a whole bag of lenses, but once in a while, I'll just say I am taking this one lens. It's not a zoom lens. It's a prime lens. And I'm going to go to the park today. And so when you when you get rid of all those choices and you're stuck with with just these limited options, you find that you come up with creative ways to to use what you have. So if if, if you're not coming up with anything, give yourself some walls, set some set some limits. Mm, that's good advice. Just one more uh, thought. You guys jogged my memory with my students. Um, sometimes they are trying to find a creative voice and I encourage them. Sometimes they do it before I encourage them and they feel like they've done something wrong, but they'll copy somebody they find online. They'll find something that inspires them. Talk about inspiration and uh, they'll either copy a pattern or they'll copy a drawing just like it. And, and I, Try and tell them that's that's okay in the very beginning too. If you're you're looking for inspiration and you want to copy an artist, say for instance, you know Warhol or Da Vinci or whatever, copy them exactly, and then start to find your own voice within that technique you develop. I think so, sometimes I'm sorry. Sometimes if you try to copy them exactly, you can't, and then you kind of develop your own style out of that. Absolutely, you know. Yeah, I was going to say the exact same thing. Like, you, it's going to mutate, you know, unless you're a really, really good copy artist. You know, <laughs> it's going to mutate some, and, and that's a good thing, you know. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's a pretty good place to wrap it up for this one. Um, where can we find out more about everybody, David? You can find my website at drunkenwoodworker.com, and it has links to all my social medias and latest videos and blog. Jimmy? Um, I- I always say just Google me. That's the best spot to find me. But you could also look at jimmyderesta.com. <clears throat> and before I forget to say it, I just uh, solidified the date of March 7th at New Orleans Mini Maker Fair. I will be there meeting people. Oh, very nice. Right on. And actually, yeah, we're all, um, just to go ahead and announce it, we're all yep. working on the three of us coming out to Maker Fair in uh, San Mateo, California. The big, big Maker Fair. Woo-hoo. So we're we're all going to be there and we're going to do some podcasting from there. We're going to do some fun stuff so we don't have it all worked out yet but we will be there so if you're coming to that maker fair be sure to to find us and say hi and for me you can find all my stuff at i like to make stuff.com and like david there's links there to get to everything else so that's the best way to to find us so i want to thank the uh people who've supported us on patreon for this episode uh we are super super grateful for all you guys i want to thank uh nicholas jesse ben jacob joseph minch Got it again. Uh, Andreas, Charlie, and Colby. And then uh, those are the, the the top guys, but everybody who has supported us there, we yeah. are really, really grateful. So and, awesome. um, and Thank you. Patreon is going to enable us to do more of this show eventually, and it's going to enable us to do some more stuff. And so for that, we're really thankful. And if, so if you want to help us uh, do more of the show, uh, check us out at patreon.com slash making it. And uh, yeah, that's it. Thanks for, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thanks, guys. Thank you all very much.